for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, finally, it's Friday. <laughs> Boy, it's been a long week. I know for both of us it has. <laughs> and it, finally, we have another coffee call. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. It's I, it's one of those weeks where it's like, I can't tell if it's been long because it drug out or if I just lost <laughs> track of time and I thought today was like Sunday. Because I honestly forgot. Yeah. I forgot that we were recording tonight until you texted me and said, are you good to go? Like an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and you and I have kind of the weeks have been kind of weird, but I forgot too. And that just shows you how busy both you and I have been. And today I was like, I should probably get a hold of Justin and, you know, and, and figure everything out. And I'm like, holy crap, we're recording that tonight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it was just, (laughs) we better get on the horn and here it is, you know, 10 o'clock Eastern time and we're, we're hitting record, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, this week's coffee call, you kind of come to me with a, with a good idea and I'm going to let you kind of take it from here and kind of tell the backstory of how, you know, your conversation last weekend at the Iowa deer class, that came up with a, with a guy at the show and yeah, I think we should take it from there and I'll let you uh, introduce it. Yeah. So um, I had somebody come up to the booth at the Deer Classic last weekend. Um, I did a quick live when I was there. I unfortunately didn't get to do more, but uh, I had somebody come up to me at the booth asking a management question that I think kind of is a is a very valid question and probably a question a lot of people have on their mind, and that is how do I determine the number of does I need to shoot 
if I even want to shoot does as a part of my management practice. You know, it kind of took me back for a minute. Like I had to actually gather my, my thoughts and kind of understand the dynamics of the question before I could, you know, develop an answer to that from a biological and a management standpoint. But it was just a really good question that we ended up getting into, you know, discussing this gentleman and I for over over 30 minutes. So I said this would be an easy one to, to do on the coffee call. It's it's pertinent, it's relevant, and it's just something like even with your uncle when we talked about TSI, you know, back around Christmas time, um, you know, something that he had brought up then. Um, and again, it's one of those things that's not going to – these answers aren't going to apply to everyone. Um, this is more for the private landowner um, and especially – probably in the case where if you're if you've got i would say uh 20 acres or more i mean i don't take that for this is worthless if you own 19 but like i'm just gonna say for the roundabout sake of numbers here just if you got 20 or more acres and you want to shoot does as part of your management practices this is pretty relevant information i think so yeah that's (laughs) the long-winded version of uh the question he asked me. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a great topic because it's one of those, I guess you could call it debates in a way, but it's always one of those questions that gets brought up, you know, and you always have those guys that like, I hate shooting does. I'm not going to shoot does. And we've talked right. about this before. Yeah. You know, like you said, I hate shooting does. Then you got the guys that are like, you know, diehard shooting does. And I need to shoot this many every year because you know, the guys on TV say it or I read it in a magazine and everything, but maybe they really don't know how many does they actually have right? and what they need to be taken off their farm. Exactly. And I can, I can kind of kick it off a little bit here. And, you know, for whoever didn't hear the earlier podcast, like Justin had alluded to with uh, Casey Thren, my uncle, um, earlier on, around Christmas. I think that podcast came out around there. For me, I I take a journal every year and I write down every adult deer I see. So I don't, I don't include fawns or yearlings in this. It's either does or bucks. And at the end of the year, I tally up and I try to get a good estimation of what my buck to doe ratio is. Now, yes, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, you're probably counting a lot of the same deer. How do you know if you're seeing different does? I don't know that. But I can tell you on my main farm, the one acre farm, I my buck to doe ratio f- with my numbers and what I've seen this year is is really tight. Yep. Uh, I think my numbers, I don't have my journal in front of me. I think my numbers came off to, I think I saw um, like two or three more does than I did bucks the whole year. So that kind of tells me that I don't really have a doe problem that gets me in the ballpark. But then I also kind of go to the field test. Like when I'm out hunting, am I seeing a lot of does all the time? Like a lot of does together. Like, do I have a group of three or four coming through? And then I know they're not circling back around. Do I have another group of three or four coming through? You know, if I'm seeing 10 different does that I know of a night I'm or more, I'm probably have a little bit of a doe problem that I really need to start think about shooting them yeah you know so that's kind of the the eye test i guess i could call it that like i go after and and on that farm i don't need to shoot any does because i might go out and i might only see three does a night that's it like 
I just know I'm not going to see a lot of deer because the deer density around there, yeah, there's good deer density, but it's just not overwhelming like it is on my family farm. When you go out and you'll see 10, you know, one set this year, it was uh, mid-October, I went and I saw 28 deer and 24 of them were does and four were bucks and they were all different deer. I can vouch for all of them were different deer because they all came from the west and all went east, every single one, and I know none of them circled back around i can 100 percent vouch for that now that is a problem yeah so we got to figure that out yeah so you know that that leads me into the way i answered this guy's question and again his question was how do i know how many does i need to shoot if i'm going to even kill does as part of my management plan so right there in itself is two questions i heard two questions there number one how do i identify i've got a problem number two how do I solve the problem? So right. and the way I answered that question, those questions to him was, you know, it, there's a couple factors you need to consider. There's no hard and fast answer. It's like, well, if you saw four and your dad saw three and, you know, your brother saw seven, that doesn't mean you have 14 does on your property. So it's like, there's more to it, obviously. And I mean, that's, that's kind of, a no-brainer. It's kind of inherent that you you know there's more than you're seeing. Yep. So first of all, keep, exactly. keep that in mind. There, there are more than you're actually seeing. There's there's always more than you can see. Um, right. Number two, you have to understand what you have as far as property and what that property offers to the deer herd. So like, and by that I mean, are you do you primarily house the deer? Like, is your is your property more geared to be a bedding area? Or is it more of a, a destination food source? Like if you're an egg, you know, if you're a farmer and you've got, you know, 90 acres of beans and five acres of timber, you know, you're, you, I would consider you as a food source. Yes, you're going to be seeing deer out there. There's going to be deer that hold up in your, in your woodlots or in those fingers, but they are there for the food. Those kind of people I'm willing to bet don't see the bucks in the fall that they see grow up in the summertime. So that's one, th- yep. one thing to keep in mind. The second thing is, uh, based on the available habitat type that you offer those deer, what is the ratio of bucks to does that are housed on your property? So, in to simplify that, number one, how much property are you working with and what habitat type is it? Number two, how much can that habitat support? And knowing that, what's the buck to doe ratio you have to work with in the first place? Those are like, and until you know those answers, it's hard to answer the question of how many do I shoot? Because it's not, it's not a matter, like I said, of you have 14 does on your property or you have 37 total mouths to feed on your property, bucks, does, fawns, or otherwise. It's a matter of what the ratio is, males to females, and how much of your property can actually sustain those mouths to feed. Right. So in my first thing, and I'm going to kind of go with you on this is, you know, identify your habitat. I'm going to go back to what you said. On my family farm, we have a lot of oak ridges, a lot of uh, white oak trees. We have a lot of acorns. We have, uh, you know, a 65 acre alfalfa field, but the rest of it is all timber, all timber. Okay. And a deer's, you know, a 40% of a deer's diet is woody brow so that consists of 
bark, right. <laughs> you know, trees, leaves, buds, all that stuff. So, you know, to identify what they're eating, you know, it might be a good idea to just go out and, and wander a little bit and figure out where these deer are and see what they are eating. See if they're nibbling on, you know, some sort of bud or tree or, you know, identify that. And, and cause honestly, a, a doe family group can run a lot of deer out of there. You know, when you get upwards of, you know, five, six does, they're going to eat you out of house and home. And then right. they're and not going to be the only doe family group on your property either. Yeah. And let me stop you real quick while you, while I've got this on my mind, when you say that there is a very important thing to keep in mind right now, like you just said, um, a, a deer's diet is 40% woody browse, like bark and tree branches and buds and all the stuff that they're just trying to survive off of this time of the year, especially for us in the Midwest and upper Midwest. Um, there's been a lot of snow on the ground this year here, more than there usually is. And it's just, don't think you're doing deer any favors by th- throwing a round bell out there or putting a pile of corn out because they can actually starve to death with a full stomach. And I know that sounds crazy, but let me explain. Because right now they're on a sustenance style of living. Like they're eating the only things they can find that are available to them, whether that's tree bark, buds, branches, um, even cedar needles and cedar berries. Like a, a buddy of mine texted me and said, why would a deer's urine be blue right now? And I said, cedar berries. Like if you look at the cedar bushes, they all have, they have those blueberries on them. They're not, they're not blueberries like we buy in the store, but their seed grows inside of a blue berry. And I, there's nothing else in their diet right now. That's, that's probably one of the best things they can find right now is those, right. those cedar boughs and those cedar berries. So, um, I mean, that's the only justifiable answer I could give him was it's probably that cedar berry. But, um, back to what I was saying about starving to death on a full stomach, it has to do with the pH of their rumen and pH. I mean like acidity, same as you test in your soil, same as you test in your, the water out of your faucet in the house, though their rumen, they have a rumen just like a cow does. They chew their cud, they swallow it, they, they, they redigest it, they, they metabolize every last bit that they can get out of everything they eat all times of the year. And like I said, right now, that is woody browse, like we said, bark, um, buds, the cedar, all that stuff. So that rumen is acclimated to a certain pH that most effectively digests and metabolizes what is in their normal diet right now. So if you think about a deer that's living in the UP of Michigan or maybe on your your home farm or your family farm right now, you know, they're yes, you've got a food plot in there, you've got some turnips in there. Realistically, that's probably beat to death right now. There's probably not a lot of food left in there for them at this point. They've probably moved on to a neighbor's bird feeder or, you know, the um, there's probably some beech trees someplace right now kind of sprouting some buds. That's a really good resource for them right now is beech tree buds Um, but other than that it's bark and again the rumen is is very specific right now and is acclimated to what has been their diet for the last two months like they're not out of the woods yet so they're still they they're the lights at the end of the tunnel they're almost through the winter if you go out and feed them right now and you put 
a 300 pound pile of whole kernel corn out there, their rumen's not ready for it. It's just like a human who's dehydrated, like clinically, you know, and dangerously dehydrated. If you go slug a gallon of water, you're going to get, you're going to get bloated and you're going to, you're going to hurt yourself. It's, I, I have no idea the, the, the physiological consequences of a human and what happens, but I don't know, do some research on it or something, but <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I totally you're not supposed you're to do that. You're right. not supposed to do that. Um, it's just one of those things where you're, you're going to do more harm than good right now. The deer that are alive right now are, are going to be alive in another month when this weather breaks. It's, it's the deer that are, have already died, have either starved to death or froze to death. You know, it's just do not go out and put food out right now because you're going to kill deer that otherwise are going to live. I promise you. Yeah. And to go back to your hay bale theory, you know, in a lot of ways, deer, it's hard for them to digest that hay right now too, you know, and break that food down. So that can just, if they come up there and start eating on a full stomach, or even if it's not a full stomach, they could really hurt themselves by getting too full and not being able to digest it as well. And especially with it being so cold and, you know, I was out hinge cutting last weekend and I was on the one acre farm doing some hinge cutting and I was out in the wheat field, our wheat field, and I was driving out there. Well, I got hung up in my pickup. There wasn't a lot of snow out there, but there's four inches of ice underneath the snow and you just can't get traction on it. And the deer can't eat any of that winter wheat. We've got winter wheat that's, you know, green right now, but you can't see it. There's so much, you know, there's a little snow, but there's so much ice everywhere so that's what the deer are doing like you said you know and across the midwest those cedar berries are everywhere you know yeah even in during the season when we're out in the midwest and checking a trail cam i like to grab some of those cedar berries on the way to a stand or something if i got a bare hand and check a trail cam after you know after i touch those cedar berries and mash them in my hands because it makes the trail cam smell like cedar so you're not leaving your scent out there they're everywhere right. you know yeah, and you they, also got to think you also got to think too about deer where they're at right now. They're in the thermal cover, you know, so they're eating on, you know, like you said, cedar, cedar thickets and down and they're getting out of the weather. And a lot of times they don't like to move a lot right now either. So they're trying to eat whatever they can get close. And whether that be cedar thickets or, or hemlocks or, you know, they're just looking for that woody browse and, and and good available food that's easy and now i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of go back to a scenario that i did a couple years ago and i went through and hinge cut a tree i was when i was first kind of starting to get into hinge cutting and it kind of happened by accident but i i hinge cut this tree and just uh i was doing a few of them you know just trying to figure out how to do it and everything well, I had left, and it was during the winter, kind of the tail end of the winter, going into the summer, or going into the spring, and I had came back a, a week later, and there was still a little bit of snow on the ground, and when I went there to hinge cut, there was no deer tracks around, and when I went back yep. a week later, I mean deer tracks like I had put a bait pile there, and I didn't. It was just because I put those trees on the ground, and all that woody browse that was up 50 to 75 feet is on the ground. And the deer flocked to it. They were eating yeah. everything they could. And I think I kind of mentioned it on the podcast a couple podcasts ago. I can't remember. But 
Casey and I were in Iowa last year and we were hanging a stand. This was in late October. We were hanging a stand. Well, we were cutting limbs out of the stand and we'd just leave them lay on the bottom or, you know, below the stand because we don't like to like handle them very, very much when we're, we're going in to hunt and everything. So we just kind of let them lay. Well, that night, I got all this on film. That night, we had six does come right to the base of our tree and eat those fresh cut, you know, buds and leaves and everything off the tree. And it ca- sure. it didn't hit us right then, but it was like we went back to camp that night. And I was like asking Casey, I was like, what the hell were those deer? Like, you know, we're in a fence row, literally in a fence row, just like a turd in a punch bowl out there. You know, why did they pick <sighs> us to come in there and eat right under our tree? And he's like, well, he kind of threw the idea out there. He's like, it probably was those, you know, cut limbs that we did because that's what they're eating on. And I'm like, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's no yeah. different in us hinge cutting it. We just cut the limbs and there's food for them right on the ground. And that's what I equate that to, you know, so they're going to get whatever's available and what's easy for them at that period of time. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you can find something out there right now, that's, that you know is a, a good food source for them. Like if, if you can go cut some beach limbs off, like you go find a beech tree, it's got buds starting to pop on it. You know, if if that's if if your motivation is to provide some some natural browse for the deer, go cut some limbs off of that beech tree and just pile them up on the ground. They will they will find them and eat them. Right. It's. I mean, we've done it before with oak trees in the fall. Like, I mean, even if you just want to get some roughage into them, because once they die, like, like here, the, the pin oaks, they don't drop their leaves, but they, but they still die. Right. Um, if you could find something that has still has a green leaf on it, which isn't going to be any of your hardwoods, obviously, but you know what I'm saying? You can, you can cut things that you can get closer to the ground that they can browse on. Yep. So let's go to the next question here. And let's say you identify that you have a doe problem and that you need to take some does. How are you figuring out how many does you need to take? Now, the first thing I'm going to look at is obviously what time of the year the rut falls in for, for me, you know, obviously in the Midwest, it's first week in November, but if it's somebody like down in Texas or, uh, what else is like, like, um, Louisiana, Alabama, Louisiana. Yep. Yeah. You need to figure out how to do this. And this is kind of a, a slippery slope, but you either want to do it and target does specifically before they're bred, knowing you're going to prevent more mouse from being born or else you target them in a late season. Once you know they've been bred and you take out two or three at once. Like I know that's harsh to hear and, it's very hard to say, believe me, but it's a matter of like, do you want to wait until you know they're bred and factor in, you never know how many they're going to have because you can't look at them and decide like, right. But it's just a matter of like, for me, I would look at targeting the bucks I want to remove before the rut and the does I want to remove after the rut because you, you get the best of both worlds. You eliminate the, the buck genes you don't want passed on before you have to eliminate the does. The trade-off is that just means those does were potentially bred by the buck gene you want. Right. You know, so it's 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 a toss-up and it's a hard thing to to decide on and it's just it's total there's no right or wrong answer to it. It's totally up to how you want to 
how you want to target them and when. But, uh, you know, it, to, to answer the question, there's too many factors for me to just give an answer directly to that question because it depends on the number, the, the size of the property you're working with and the number of deer that you think you have. Like, you, I'm not going to tell you to go shoot, you know, 15 does on your 150 acres if if you're a food source because you're, you're going to continue to draw deer in that you you have no way of identifying whether or not they live there. But right. if your property is more like if you're housing deer, if you're if you're primarily a bedding area, you know, then yeah, okay, go ahead and shoot ten or twelve of them. Like those are the deer that live on you. But now, if if you're the person who has the best of both worlds, and like you've got a big tract where it's like I know I have a sanctuary, I know I've got a, a designated bedding area, I have all these these food sources that are scattered around strategically, you know, to to try to inhibit movement, you know, based on where I know I can hunt or like where I want to hunt. Like if, if you're manipulating your property to the point of having those options, then you've got every piece of the puzzle and you're, you're still housing all those deer. You're going to get some, some immigration and some emigration, you know, deer coming and deer going that you have no history with. But for the most part, you're, you're sustaining a lot of deer that are going to stay on your property. So at that point, you're going to want to, you're going to want to be able to do some kind of a census survey, either by trail camera or, or something, you know, just, just eyes in the tree stand or find a way to determine, you know, an average number to deer that you actually have and just try to make a decision, you know, the best decision you could possibly make knowing how much property you have and the number of deer that live on you. Um, I, I know that's kind of a, a gray answer. Uh, it's just, it's just going to be different for everybody out there. Right. Yeah. And it's, I have two different scenarios on my hand. Like I said, you know, I got two farms and, and both of them are vastly different. Now I kind of go by the rule as well is if I have a group of, let's say six does come in together, you know, it's a family group of does, then I feel like I should probably take one of those does. That's just what I feel because a family group of six does, I mean, that's, that's, that's six miles, you know, and if all six of those does get bred that year, you know, and let's say they all just have another fawn, just one fawn, you know, that's possible. I mean, yeah, you could say that they could have a buck too, but let's say they're, you know, six six more does, then that's 12. You know, you don't know if they're going to live there or not. It's like you said, it's a very fine line and gray area because it depends on your situation. But I just, I don't know, something in my head tells me if I have a group of five or six does come in, I'm going to take one of those does. I think that's the time to take it. Yeah, and you're, I think you're exactly right. Like, there's no harm in that. Um, because like you said, like, you use the the term doe family group, and that's that's a very key thing to keep in mind is that white-tailed deer are a family animal. They're not a herd animal. Like, elephants are herd animals. A wildebeest is a herd animal. Um, uh, you know, goats, you know, um, any species of goat, a pronghorn Yep. You know, they're a, they're a herd animal. You know, elk are herd animals. White Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Caribou are herd animals. There's there's a difference between a herd animal and a family animal. 
So when you see, you know, and that, that, that may make it harder for you to decide that you need to, to kill a couple. Like you don't want to kill brother or sister or mom or whatever. But I mean, if you're asking the question of how many does do I need to shoot, that's a factor in the answer. Yeah, definitely. And there's, like you said, there's so many factors that you can bring into it. And like I said, to start this whole thing, there's a lot of guys that are like, I don't want to kill the does because that just multiplies the, you know, the, the chances of them having a buck fawn that I want to hunt. But a lot of those guys don't realize that those bucks, a lot of those bucks will get kicked off of your property. Yeah. That's how, that's how deer combat in incest, you know, that's why, right. You know, mom's not getting chased around by her son. You know what I mean? That's just nature. And they're going to kick them yep. off and they're going to go to another property and the deer on the other property might come to you. So I don't know. I just feel like you, you gotta, I'm, I'm the type that you gotta keep those does in check as, as well as you can. And in the wild, it is probably in my opinion, nearly impossible to get your buck to doe ratio to one to one. Like it, it, wow. Well, I, I mean, you'd have to do a lot of work and have a big track to do that. I mean, I just don't think it's very possible to do that. No, it's not. I mean, by nature, they're born at a one to one ratio because that's just, that's the way nature works it. Like you, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you see a doe with with one fawn and you see another doe with another fawn that one's a buck, one's a doe fawn. That just means for every 50 doe fawns there are 50 buck fawns. Now, it's no secret that bucks are more desirable amongst hunters. Like there's a trophy factor in that. Uh, I don't care how you want to define yourself as a hunter, you're lying to yourself and everybody else in the world if you can say that it's not a trophy. Like that's, that's why there are less bucks out there than there are does. Like, right. It's just the, it's just the reality of it. Um, and that's, that's kind of where that, like the human, uh, I guess factor, if you want to call it that the, the human influence, that's a better word. The human influence in that, in that ratio, that sex ratio, that, that's, that's our influence in that. That's the only thing we can control is just, do we shoot it or do we, do we shoot the buck or do we shoot the doe? Exactly. And I think that if, if the fact that you're asking how many does do I need to shoot? I mean, that just identifies you as a conservationist and a steward of your land. And, you know, you understand the bigger picture. Um, and that's, it's a very, it's a very legitimate question to ask. And it's, it's a very complex answer to be given. Yep. I don't know. It goes back to like you said. It's the the ratio. It's 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 you 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 can never get to one to one. No, and the four there's four factors that contribute to a population to population dynamics, and it's birth, death, immigration, and emigration. Out of those four things, humans can only influence two. We can't control any of them. We can influence two. We can influence death, and we can influence immigration by having suitable and desirable habitat whether that's food bedding water or cover you can only do your best to try to to make your property more desirable like i said you it's it you can influence it you cannot control it and right then, and out of the four you can only influence two yep and to also to, to talk to you about you know being a steward of the land and you know you hear this term having a healthy herd 
but I don't know if anybody like really kind of defines that to me. I, I, I kind of want to define it in a way to what it is to me. You know, I like to take does when applicable because, and the reason being is because like I said, does can eat you out of house and home bucks can as well. But the thing is, is your doe density is always, in my opinion, there's a lot more does than there are bucks. And, yeah. you know, with that trophy factor you talked about, yes, everybody out there is looking for somewhat of a trophy, whether that be a spike, whether that be a six point, whether that be a 200 inch, whether that be 140 inch, whatever that is, yeah. you know, it, the, the trophies in the eye of the beholder. And that's what I love about it. But the thing is a healthy herd is a good herd. And that is, and now I'm not trying to, it sounds like I'm preaching. I'm up here preaching. <laughs> it's not yeah, that. No, I'm just I, kind of giving my I, opinion. I feel the same way. You know, yeah, and I know. a healthy herd is to get those does out of there because in turn, getting more does out of there, you're trying to lower your doe herd, which in turn brings more bucks to your farm, which in turn gives them more things to eat because the doe, there's less does to eat everything. And also that makes your rut tighter. And in states like Michigan, and we just talked about on a coffee call a little while ago about calling and how I said I never take antlers into the Michigan woods. Well, there's a reason because there's going to be a buck out there that hears that, that one, might get intimidated, but two, he knows that there's no competition over there because there's so many does. There might be two bucks fighting over a doe over there, but that's me in the tree. But he looks right. over to his right and sees another doe that's, you know, he could go after as well or two does. So it's like there's no competition there. So what I'm trying to say is once you close in on those does and you take them, you know, start taking their numbers down, that buck's going to look over there and, or, you know, hear that rattling in the tree or rattling you know, fighting over two bucks, fighting over a doe, and he's going to look to his right and not see any does. He's like, okay, there might be something over there I need to go check out, if that makes sense. You know, that's why yeah. it, out in the Midwest, Iowa, Kansas, you know, Illinois, that's why those states in Texas were on our top list of where you can rattle and where you can call is really effective is because the numbers right. are better than they are out east here in Michigan, PA, yeah, New York, you know. Right. And by numbers, we mean density, density, the number yes. of deer per square mile. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, you couldn't be more right about that. So it's, we kind of went a lot of places. With the, <laughs> we did. Hopefully with hopefully the one it... question that started this all out, but I mean, it's yeah. And that, that's kind of the, I don't want to say the gray area, but the, the term management can be defined a thousand different ways by a thousand different people. There's there's no hard and fast answer. I don't care if you're talking about whitetail management or elk management or mule deer management or bullfrog management. Um, it's it's all a matter of you know what your limitations are, what the contributing factors are, how much property you have, the number of miles you have to sustain, you know, and what your overall goals and objectives are as far as the results you want to see. Yeah, and to talk about your goals, we can go back to last podcast when we were with Greg Litzinger, and he was talking about, you know, he's got a whiteboard, and he puts goals up on his whiteboard every year. You know, I'm not saying you have to go to that extent, but maybe have a goal. Go into the season and say, you know, 
I want to kill a couple of those on top of, you know, you're going for your buck as well. But I want to take this and I want to start working towards the management of my farm and making it a healthier herd. So I don't know, that might be a way to combat it. Or you just go in and say, hey, every time I see a, a family group of does that's five or six does, I'm going to try to take one of those does when applicable. It's it's in the eye of the beholder and what you believe in, like what Justin said, your goals that you want to do with your farm and your herd. So that's that's the best way I can put it. And lastly, I'm going to kind of leave it on this. Hopefully this didn't sound like a like a preach to everyone because it, it, we we don't want it to be that way and I'm sorry if it came across that way but this is just our opinion you know and we're not gospel at any of this we say we say it a lot it's our opinion it's opinion based there's a lot of people out there that are going to disagree with us and there's some people out there that probably will agree with us we're just trying to open some people's eyes to what we think and maybe that might help someone else you know, on their farm or their situation. I guess that's that's gonna kind of what I'm gonna leave it at. Yeah, I mean, it, I I wanted to say something similar, and I just hope it didn't sound like it was a a typical. I, th- there was no hard and fast answer in any of that stuff we just talked about. There are some definite facts to take away. Like I I will defend the facts that I know, like about rumen pH and density and the ratios and like. They're just things you have to consider. Like I, I can't answer the question of how many does do I shoot without knowing the specifics of your situation. So um, try to take the information we've given you and digest that. And I mean, reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram, you know, with comments or other questions regarding this, if you want, you know, some more in-depth answers pertaining to you. But um, I, I think we did the best we could with, without having a, particular case to work with yeah well cool man let's wrap this thing up we're a little over time like we used to go but you know i think there's a lot of cool points in here and hopefully somebody can take a little bit from it and you know maybe practice it on their on their scenario or they can say well these guys are full of shit no i don't like what they're saying so (laughs) hopefully we didn't waste your time there's always that (laughs) yep well cool we'll wrap it up and i hope everybody has a good weekend and uh stay warm out there if you guys are in the market for new strings and cables this year, go to americasbestbowstrings.com, customize your new strings and cables, and at checkout, type in Fall Podcast to get $10 off orders $99 and over. So all you got to do is go to americasbestbowstrings.com, like I said, and at checkout, type in Fall Podcast to get $10 off any sets of custom strings that you want from America's Best. 